Every once in a while, a masterpiece gets by me. A movie that I should have honestly seen back when it came out, but for some reason didn't. A movie that, upon watching, not only kept me up, thinking about its themes, trying to understand it, because after first viewing, I couldn't comprehend it. There were aspects of it I didn't understand why they happened the way they did. It reminded me a lot of Blade Runner 2049 with the chills I felt as the credits rolled. So much of it I thought I understood, but when that ending screen hit, I really realized I was just ignorant of the whole story. I was just making my own assumptions about the movie when there were other ones that were actually true. There's a lot of themes to this. On the surface, this is a horror movie about greed and about adjusting to new times. But the more and more I think about it, and the more and more I analyze it, it's not really about greed. That's just kind of the trick the movie does to get you to watch it. It tricks you into thinking it's an action sort of horror movie. When really, this movie's just about times changing, and things always adjust, and the balance of evil and good always prevail. No Country for Old Men came out in 2007, and is an absolute masterpiece. It's now in my top 10 movies, and since I had that first viewing, I've probably watched it 4 or 5 times, since about 2 weeks ago. This is just my own little breakdown, there's many people who are a lot more intelligent who have already looked at this movie. A lot more people who know more about film than I do. But I'm just going to do my best to break this movie down and tell you what it kind of means to me. I'm not saying this is a definitive answer, but I think at least in my mind, this is a pretty damn good one. Thank you for listening. So I do give a warning, I am going to be spoiling stuff in this review. Uh, this is kind of a review slash an analysis. Thank you for listening. If you uh, don't want the spoiler and you don't want any spoilers, I just recommend watching the movie first and coming back because I can't guarantee that your experience won't be affected by what I say. So I'd recommend watching it so you can kind of make your own sort of opinions on the movie. I don't want to kind of cloud your judgments with what I'm saying because I could very well be wrong. I'm first going to talk about the story before I break down the individual characters, because the characters are exactly what this story is about. So I told you, well, I guess every story is about the characters, but more so about how every character in this movie adjusts and meets their fates is really the kind of moral to this one. But I said in the intro that you were tricked. This movie is complete trickery. It's trying to ask you at the beginning, what would you do if you found $2 million? And how would you get away with it if you found it? That's what it tries to portray at the beginning. But as we move forward and forward, we learn the more kind of philosophical approaches this movie takes. Which, as I said, the core focus of this movie is changing times. So, the story basically starts out where a man, uh, so Moss, he's kind of the main cowboy of the story. He's kind of our main protagonist. There's arguably three protagonists for the three wind, like the three windmills in the movie. But I think Moss, Levelin Moss, he's the main protagonist, as everything is because of him. So he finds some money in a desert that belonged to uh, either a cartel or a gang, as there was a massive shootout. And by the way, I forgot to add, this all takes place in Texas. 
so it has a kind of old west feel to it. So he finds some money, and now he needs to find a way to keep it. Him and his wife, uh, Carla Jean, I believe it's his wife. I'm pretty sure they're married. I don't know if that's ever actually stated, stated, though. They basically, for the rest of the movie, are trying to get a step ahead, one way or another. Moss on his own, and she's also on her own, in order to keep this money. But as he's trying to get away, there's a ruthless assassin who's played beautifully by Javier Bardem named uh, Antoine Chigurh, and he is hunting him down. And this guy is probably the scariest, most unstoppable villain I've seen since Heath Ledger's Joker and also the Terminator. This guy is almost a mix of both. So here's where I see kind of he's an anarchist. He believes in chaos, kind of like the Joker. He's got his own moral code like him from Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Dark Knight, which is really cool. But the other thing that Chigurh has is that... He has a lot of the Terminator in him, too, for the fact that he's an unstoppable beast. He does get shot once in the movie, and he also does get badly injured towards the end. But whenever he's in combat scenes, he seems like he's almost unstoppable. And he always finds a way to get what he wants, no matter what. Even if it doesn't make sense to the story how he gets to points, he still finds a way there. And you could call that poor writing, but I call it actually very good writing for a villain and it's cool we don't see exactly how he figures everything out the only thing we really see about his detective work is him interviewing people and sometimes killing them or him uh, basically having a little tracking device that he's following while this is going on though this whole story about this guy and the two million dollars there's a cop who's played by Tommy Lee Jones and uh, his name's Ed and basically, he's tasked with uh, trying to obviously take down this assassin Shigur while also trying to recover this to, well, they don't, they're not sure how much money it is, I don't think, because at the detective scene, they're assuming there's money. But they're also trying to help Moss, who's in a big, tr he's in very big trouble right now. So he's kind of going after both in a sense. He's trying to find either or. But the genius of the movie, which I'll get into is, Deep down, he's terrified of what's going on, and he also doesn't entirely understand it. His view of the world is very different than the world that's being portrayed to him at the moment. So that's all I'm going to really break down story-wise, and the genius to this movie is everything that you're expecting to happen either happens off-screen or doesn't happen at all. After I introduce the characters, I'll give a few spoilers in that regard. So I'm going to go over the five kind of main characters one by one because I really feel like they all have a little bit of a character arc and they all have a moment. So the first one's Carson. Carson is hired to basically get the money back for one of the gangs that lost it. And from the get-go, we see that Carson is very overconfident. And by the way, he's played by Woody Harrelson in one of his best roles. He's very confident in himself we can tell right from when he sits down he's an amazing detective. He also has incredibly good memory. He's able to point out things, he's able to remember, he even states it, and that could be his arrogance, but I think we should take him at face value here. That he remembers dates, times, he's got an almost photographic memory. We don't know about his combative abilities, because we never actually see him fight anybody. But he seems to be very competent as his job, as kind of a bounty hunter slash assassin. 
At least that's what it's portrayed to be. I'm not sure if he's motivated by money, but at the very least he is motivated by his ego of getting the job done. And he seems to be very fearful of Shigur, the other assassin, but he at least doesn't show it. He does his best to play it off cool. And in this movie, you can tell that he has a lot of fear in him because he never tries to engage with him. He tries to go around him to solve the problem. He tries working with Moss to get the money without having to deal with Shigur because he really doesn't want to fight him. So I think, if anything, that might prove that his combat of abilities aren't top, top notch. But then again, Shigur is an unstoppable monster, but we'll get to that. So Carson's big arc in this movie is, although he starts off overconfident, in his last moments before death, he almost gets humbled. He almost understands something that a lot of other characters understand later in the movie. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do to reason with people. Sometimes there's no meaningful answer. Sometimes things are just as they seem and they don't make sense. He goes from overconfident to all of a sudden basically begging for his life before he's finally killed. And his character arc almost complete that. He just, he got beat. And he just doesn't understand why. His worldview is just broken. So that's kind of Carson in a nutshell. That he loses his confidence and he loses everything obviously because he dies. But it's a very interesting arc and we don't see him for very long. Yet he might be my favorite character in this film. And I wish we could have had more time to see his detective work. Because he does seem like he's very brilliant. Next. The next character I really want to talk about is Carla. She's uh, Moss's partner. And by the way, her actress is apparently from Ireland. And the fact she pulled off such a good southern accent and had such a good southern character is amazing. Just top notch. She is a very interesting character because although she wants this money... She doesn't seem to be all in like Moss is. She's more so just kind of going along with it and hoping it all works out. But her flaw in the movie is that she's too loyal to him. She's loyal to him to a fault, even to the point where it does end up getting him killed. Now, I'm not implying she's the reason he died, but what I am implying is that her not working with the police is what caused Moss's death with the money towards the end of the movie. Yeah, as you know, there are spoilers. So... Her character, though, just emphasizes kind of an innocence, sort of, uh, what's the word? She's very innocent to this evil world and doesn't understand how things work. So, for example, at the end of the film, where it's supposed to be ambiguous that she didn't necessarily die, but I think it's safe to assume she's dead, just from the mannerisms and how Shigeru's worked for the rest of the film. It's very easy to understand that she died, but some people think she didn't. But it's very... Her innocence and her kind of show that she doesn't want to. So Antoine Chigurh, the assassin, he flips, he flips, he flicks the coin up in the air and he tells her to call it. And she refuses to call it, saying she doesn't want to play his game because she doesn't understand. She also doesn't want to understand. And that does end up costing her her life, but her inability to understand him, as no one really can, but she's the one to really call him out for it. Woody Harrelson tries a little earlier as Carson, but I think she does a more effective job. But her character arc kind of goes from an undying loyalty to then, I guess, a sad widow. It's very sad. And to tell you the truth, she might have the most tragic thing in this whole story. Because she was such a good person who got wrapped up in this. And if you probably asked her if 
they could if they never found the two million dollars she'd obviously well sadly in the movie i think she did die at the end but she would probably not even want the two million and just keep on with her life with uh, moss so next let's go to moss he is by far the most fun character in this movie when it comes to he's got a very good personality He's uh he's very sure of himself actually. He always thinks he's going to be a step ahead. So he's a little overconfident like Carson. And Moss in the movie is the one who finds the briefcase full of money. So when he finds the briefcase full of money, he also in the same scene, and this is where it really shows his characteristics that this is a very good man, but he's going to have to be making tough decisions is that he doesn't give water sadly to a dying man in a truck from the shootout I talked about earlier. Later in the movie, he does go back, but and that kind of just shows you that he is a caring person, even though this guy is obviously dead, for his own conscience, he needs to go back just to check, just to get this poor guy some water who's dying. So we're immediately set up that he is a good person, and to tell you the truth, Moss is a person we probably see every day. Just a genuinely good guy, put in a tough situation, but he's willing to do what he has to do for this money. Throughout the movie... Also, what I really love is he's not doing anything impossible. Every single action he does is something that is very reasonable. Everything he kind of figures out in his head is something that if you were in that situation, you would probably do to stay a step ahead. And I think that's really cool because in some movies, the characters do absurd things that I don't think any normal person would do in the situation. But everything he does is very by the books. Very basic. He does make some errors, but as he's making these errors, they become very apparent, and that's what ends up getting him. So that's Moss for the most part. If you want to talk about his character arc, he kind of has more of a neutral arc, as he's already kind of a good person. He's just kind of in a crappy situation. But I think his character arc is that towards the end of the... Throughout the whole thing, he thinks he can do it all on his own. He's confident in his abilities and he thinks that no matter what he's going to come out on top himself but then he starts getting in more crap and stuff gets worse for him and he has to turn to the bounty hunter i told you earlier who's hired to get the money carson and he's forced to turn to him but at that point it's too late he's already dug his own grave shigera is going to find him and he's going to end his life soon so i think his arc is that he learns he can't do anything alone well sorry can't do everything alone but it ends up killing him sadly like a lot of characters in this movie, their arcs end in them dying. Next, I'm going to talk about Sheriff Ed. So Sheriff is Ed is my favorite character in this movie. I do like him a little more than Woody Harrelson, the more I think about it. Where he's probably then, my, I guess, my second favorite. I don't know why I said he was earlier, but Ed is he's probably my favorite. At least of the three protagonists, he's definitely my favorite protagonist. So he's an older sheriff in the movie who, he misses the old times. He has his view of the world and it's uncompromised. So a lot of people listening to this are probably going to be in their 20s because those are kind of the age of my friends. So I'm not trying to act like you won't understand this, but maybe you've already understood this concept already. The older, the older you get, the more your viewpoint of the world kind of stays the same. Let's be honest, that's just the way it kind of goes. You get caught up in your ideas, and, and I'm not, like, when you're 20, you're still changing your opinions and everything. Like, I'm not saying you can't, but I'm I'm not saying you're not already set in your ways, but the older you get, like, in your 50s and 60s, I feel like your philosophies are already set. You're at that point in life where 
very few things are going to change your mind on certain things. So what Ed represents is his viewpoint of the world and how he wants to keep his viewpoint, especially when it comes to the matter of policing and criminals. He kind of sees the criminal as your average kind of criminal, like motivated by money or greed, this or that. But when in reality, as as they say in the dark night, some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> That's just something he doesn't understand. And to tell you the truth, like he, in his opening monologue at the beginning, he talks about a kind of a crazy guy who did stuff and understood he was going to hell. Even at that point, he has a little bit of an understanding because this person in a sense is evil and he understands the evil because it's laid out and there's logic to it the criminals in this movie like Shiger I'm not even sure there's really a lot of logic to most of what he does which is what terrifies him he just does things for the sake of anarchy he doesn't understand it which scares him his character arc I'm actually going to talk about at the end I don't want to bring it up right now because I would like to talk about Shiger first Plus, it kind of goes to the backdrop, the ending of this. So, Shiger, Antoine Shiger, he plays the assassin who's tasked by uh, the Mexican cartel to get back the money that uh, Moss has stolen. So, he is the Terminator. He can't be stopped. He carries, like, an encapator, like a air tank with, like, a spike in it that they use to kill cattle. He uses that to kill people, which is terrifying. Maybe one of the scariest weapons in movies. And he also has a silenced, uh, I think, Remington shotgun, a pump one. So this guy, he just, he's got kind of odd weapons and he means business. Especially because a silenced shotgun sounds absolutely terrifying. No pun intended. <laughs> so his character arc is actually incredibly interesting. So he is all about chaos and no order, but he has his own strict code, which is kind of the irony of him. He believes in chance. He believes that in certain cases, people have a right to live depending on a coin flip. Himself almost playing God in a sense. Throughout the movie, he does this to many people. And he always stays true to his word, which is very interesting. So you can tell he has his own set of goals. They're just incredibly, sorry, his own set of principles and morals. They're just incredibly different from you and I, who aren't crazy. But he in his own world... This is just the world he's laid out, that he believes that things are supposed to be done by chance. So the irony at the end, which I think kind of finishes his character arc, is that he thinks he's almost untouchable. He can do any situation. He's never vulnerable. He always has a plan for everything. Where at the end of the movie, when he gets hit by, he's in a bad car accident, the irony is he becomes a coward. He cowards and he needs other people to help him in his really tough moments there's no more chance like these kids aren't flipping a coin to save his life the kids who try to help him out in his tough spot are just trying to help him just to do so he probably doesn't understand the principles in his mind but at the very least he pays them even though they were just trying to help him and he didn't need to pay them the irony of it is that he does it because in his own twisted world he probably would want in his mind to be paid because to him it makes sense I don't know. He's just such a fascinating character, and he's one of the most terrifying villains. Again, he stacks up with Ledger as kind of this agent of chaos. Well, he also stacks up with uh, the Terminator in his relentlessness. 
And at the end of the movie, I think as he's kind of hobbling away, he probably does live even though he's got a bone out of his arm. I think he comes to the conclusion that maybe his philosophy is flawed. Probably not. He'll probably just go back to doing what he does the next day because that's just not how he functions and he has his principles. But maybe he can have more of an appreciation for good people trying to do the right thing. At least that's what I hope in the movie. That's what he kind of took from it as his progression and his arc. Yes. So, to do kind of a conclusion, this is how I, I guess, interpret the ending and how I interpret the whole movie. So, at the end, Sheriff Ed's talking to his wife. And he tells her about a dream about him and his father basically riding up in some snowy mountains and other places. I believe it was snowy mountains. Uh, and because I, I had to watch this movie a few times with subtitles because I didn't understand completely what he was saying. So pretty much it talks about him and his father and how he's not sure he's going to see his father again. Like his father's ridden on to the next life and that he needs to just accept that and that he hopes he sees him again, but he woke up and that's when the title crawl and I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. But here's my thing. So Sheriff Ed earlier talks to his cousin who was also a lawman like himself. And his cousin talks, he's asking his cousin about evil and stuff. And he tells him that he was expecting to find God in his later years, but he still hasn't. Sheriff Ed still hasn't found what he was looking for. So basically, I think at the end of this movie when he's having this dream about his father who's gone on to the next life and he wants to see him, but maybe he won't, and that's why he woke up. I think that's him, in a sense, completely coming to terms that he just can't believe in God and he just thinks he's never going to see his father again. That he thinks the times he's had on Earth are the only times he's going to have. He's just given up his belief that maybe that there is a God because of the terrible things he's seen, the evil he's seen. And that's a very common thing for people who work in that field. Now, I personally am Catholic, so I believe in God, but I completely understand those who don't understand the concept of why do bad things happen to good people. I understand the concepts of exactly why you wouldn't find God, especially in an evil world, and how maybe you wouldn't expect to see your loved ones who have passed again for some reason. You would understand that your time in life with them was all you had. And I think that's honestly Sheriff Ed's coming to that conclusion that he just doesn't believe in it and he's he's just coming to terms with these new beliefs he now concretely believes. Concretely? Concretely. I can't even say concrete. These are just his new set of beliefs, which he wasn't expecting to have in his old age, which he's always just held. So, basically he doesn't believe in God anymore. Another concept that kind of adds to this is the virtue. It's one of the things you learn at confirmation, which is something called fear in the Lord, or being in awe of God's presence. Sheriff Ed, at the end, we find out he just he just kind of recognizes that he's never going to have fear of the Lord. He's just not in awe of God's presence, maybe because he's just never felt the Lord's touch or something, but again, as I've repeated a few times, he's just come to terms with that. That is my interpretation of the ending, and... I just have one more point before I give this movie a score, which you're probably assuming is going to be very high. So, the ending scene, how I also take it, about, and especially a lot of themes of this movie about the changing times and the changing ways, is I challenge you right now. Go talk to your mom and dad. 
Ask them about what it was like when they were young and how much they think times were better back then. Because a lot of them do believe that. They enjoyed the times when they were growing up. Like the 70s, the 60s, the 80s. They loved those times because of how they understood them. Because it was their worldview. It's what set them up for their worldview. And how today's day and age, a lot of adults, they just don't understand kids, right? They don't understand the younger generation. They don't understand why things change and how they change. That's what this movie is really about. It's about adapting to times. It's about changing times. And it's about not understanding the way times are going. Like even me, for example. I hate cell phones. I think they're terrible. I think they're a waste of times. But they're essential to everyday life. And they're something that we have to adapt to and love and use. Well, not necessarily love, but we have to have an appreciation for them because of how much simpler they make our life. If you talk to me probably in 30 years, I'll tell you that when I was growing up, I had no cell phone, and it was better for it. Yeah. I'll probably tell you about how great it was to have a PS2 and not have these virtual 3D graphics that are insane. So really, we all are just Sheriff Ed. Our whole worldview is being challenged, and we need to find a way to adapt, and that's the brilliance of this movie. It's pretending to be about greed and about the evils of society. When it's really about just changing and making a better one. Sorry, not necessary. I, I messed up my words there. I might have to edit that. Not necessarily a better one, but we're having changing times and we have to become better at adapting to it. There, that's what I was trying to say. Damn notes, getting me all mixed up. My review for this movie is obviously an A+. I'd put this probably at number 6 of my top 10 movies of all time at the moment. It's number 6 or number 7 for sure. I don't think it's better than Goodwill Hunting, which is why I can't definitively put it higher. Which, by the way, you should watch Goodwill Hunting. But that's basically this review. No Country for Old Men, A+. There's not a lot of flaws to this film. And I guess earlier I teased something and I never really concluded with it, so I might as well tell you. The things that we don't see happen in this film are we don't see the gunfights that we're expecting the sheriff and the criminal Shigeru to have. Because the... The sheriff, like Sheriff Ed, he's always a step behind. So we never actually get to see this fight. And deep down, I think the sheriff wanted to be a step behind, which is what really intrigues me. The other thing we never get to see, too, is we never get to see Moss meet up with the sheriff and talk to them. The sheriff never meets either character. <sighs> There's other things, too, that are slipping my mind. I don't really have... Those are the two big ones I had in my notes. I was expecting to build that up and do it before my final thoughts, so I kind of screwed up here, but... I guess kind of like a Tarantino movie, sometimes things go out of order, and it's just for the better. Anyways, everyone, thank you for listening to my review, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. No Country for Old Man's an A+, and you should watch it. You just listened to Benchwarmer's Club Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we hope you listen again. Until then, God bless, praise Christ, and thank you for listening to the show.